Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and the parent of two young adults, one of which is on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Elia with Autism in Real Life, and I welcome you to today's episode. Today, I'm excited to have Dan McManon here with me um, from the college internship program, or as I first learned, CIP. Um, so some of you may have heard that. He's the president of CIP. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about transition and programs like uh, the college internship program. So welcome, Dan. Thanks so much. Thank you for being here. And um, if you could just give a little background about yourself, that would be really helpful for listeners. Sure. Yeah. So I've been in the field of autism and transition services for the past 16 years. Um, kind of had a, an interesting way of getting involved. Um, my father was diagnosed on the autism spectrum in his 50s. He's a psychologist and he's also the founder of CIP. So I was always familiar with the work that we did and helping people at a young age. Um, but going into college and coming out of college, really, I had a knee injury that brought me home three consecutive years for surgeries that was unexpected. And I had been studying multimedia, graphic design, and marketing and took up that opportunity literally when I got back on my feet to both blend my interest, passion for marketing and graphic design and to the work that we were doing at the time for, for my father's organization. And then also just helping out um, in life skills arena with our students as a direct support professional, you know, teaching students person-centered planning, cooking, shopping, recreational activities. And I really got a lot out of that personally um, of doing the work with the students and being in a role model position with them. And even though I had grown up in and around the CIP centers, um, it was different being in that position. So from there, um, took kind of a long, slow journey of um, working in different positions within the organization, moved out to Berkeley, California, when we opened a center out there, um, had our first child in the Bay Area, and then moved back here to take on a position as director of admissions and marketing, and then eventually as president. So. It's been um, kind of, I always joke and say, it's the slow, boring version of the recovered <laughs> boss, right? <laughs> or, uh, you know, a 10-year period, essentially, when I was finding my own way um, in life after shifting courses. So um, always had, you know, a, a fondness for the population and familiarity. It's sort of been ingrained in our family since the beginning. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's it's interesting how sometimes we find our way to things. Um, and so I'm curious, I know you said uh, you opened up a, a center in um, the Berkeley area. Where else uh, is CIP located? Yeah, so we started in 1984 here in Western Massachusetts in Lee in the Berkshires. Mm -hmm. um, so after, you know, this is when I was pretty young here and my father was running CIP. And after about 12 years, 
we um, opened up a location in Melbourne, Florida, based on just a recommendation of one of uh, my father's close staff members. And um, at that point, we had really started to carve out a specialization in autism and realized here in the Berkshires that that worked really well and developed the whole curriculum. And then as we um, expanded that, we really realized that the students with learning differences and the students with autism really all benefited from similar services. So we took that model and went down to Florida and opened that center. Um, so within the next, you know, about two, three year period of time, we went, my father sort of saw this and was kind of a maniac in his heart of developing these things. Uh, he went to Florida, he went to then Bloomington, Indiana, then he went to Berkeley, California. For a little bit of time, we were in Amherst, New York, near Buffalo, mm. and then um, to Long Beach, California. So currently, we're, we have the five locations, two in California, one in Indiana, one in Florida, and one in Massachusetts. Wow. Okay. So you are pretty, I mean, yeah, you got something in, in most areas, although not in any, you know, you'd have to travel a little bit. Um, mm. But I think we should back up. You've talked about so many things. You talked about a lot of different you know, terminology within the transition world. Um, you talked about the CIP in general, but can let's let's I think back up a little bit and talk about what is the college internship program and what does it offer? Sure. So um, it's commonly known more as a transition program. Um, so this is an alternative coming out of high school to uh, more of a specialized program with a residential component um, at CIP at least in which you live and study and learn um, and concurrently can attend a local college or, you know, and develop skills in an employment arena through internships, community service jobs. But essentially what CIP is, is you take this unique set of people coming out of high school who need to be prepared for that transition from adolescence to adulthood. And if you were to bring all those key services under one roof, um, creating a community of its own that's within the local community and then individualizing certain services to those students' needs. That's the general idea of, uh, of CIP and many transition programs. CIP probably has a bit more um, range of services and depths of services than many places. Um, was, we've been at it for a long time and we've built something pretty robust um, but a student coming into this program would typically be 18 to 26. They would be uh, having fairly comprehensive needs in terms of social skills, help with academics and college, um, help with time management organization, some activities of daily living and could use support and structure to maintain. So you're sort of taking all these building blocks and you're seeing what um, the priorities are and what the needs are. And you're providing those that amount of support and structure through a student's daily, weekly, monthly time um, over the course of a year, typically two to three years is a common window of staying here. But helping that student then find their path through, you know, higher education, employment, independent living, and doing so with a community of peers within the program. So they're living, learning together and participating and Sort of forming that critical mass of focusing on what comes next and you know the the real need here that we're fulfilling is that many students on the autism spectrum or with learning differences really have trouble fitting within society within the world identifying what they're good at um, getting help 
addressing their specific challenges. So this type of environment um, is very conducive toward helping that student chip away day to day, week to week through that time period of establishing goals, uh, building on experiences and finding that direction of what might be a happy and productive pathway for them as they enter into adulthood. Yeah. I mean, this sounds like a, a very um, comprehensive and um, I would even say intense kind of program. And so before we kind of go down into what that programming looks like, what what was the inspiration for creating? And, and again, as I said to you before we started recording, um, I know CIP from, you know, working with various families and clients and I've heard some amazing things. I was really only familiar with the Massachusetts um, piece of that and, you know, just have recently come to, to realize that, you know, you are kind of naturally a little more broad. Um, and I'm curious what the, what the reason, the why and why CIP was created? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so again, in, prior to, to 1984, my father, he, he's a psychologist and he had worked in um, group home settings. So he had made his way after, um, you know, working in a few different settings to Las Vegas where his brother lived and he actually started a, a group home there and ran that for a number of years. Um, there was some work that brought him to Massachusetts essentially, and he stumbled upon the area and the Berkshires and liked it. And he worked for a similar kind of organization in some ways here, but very shortly after that, um, he really was inspired by um, this whole, like it wasn't that long ago, but this deinstitutionalization process was occurring in which, you know, people were put into institutions as a solution for their challenges. Right. And, you know, that was something that felt very wrong to him and was a movement at that time. So that was his inspiration for creating at the time in a transitional apartment setting program. So taking individuals and putting them into real life and teaching them real skills to function within society was really where his passion was, was at the time and continues to be. And when he started CIP, it really was an evolutionary process to begin with that in mind as he was the the gardener, the director, the therapist, you know, everything, um, and took something very small and um, made it successful in its own right. And then once that was the case and he built a curriculum focused on autism and he developed a professional advisory board, he always tells the stories where he, his, at that time we didn't run in the summer, his whole staff he took, they developed all this curriculum, they presented it to um, some key players in the autism field and they all just, it all passed with flying colors. They said, this is beautiful, perfect. This is what's needed. Um, so I think that gave him that, that clarity of, okay, this is something that is, is um, very valuable in this time and needed. And, and honestly, there weren't too many programs or services at all, or even an understanding of autism in any major way back then. So that's kind of how we got our roots. Yeah. So um, let's talk about the programming. So what is the, what is the, I would, you know, I always like to ask like, what is the day to day look like? So what, what would a family and student um, or client expect when they, you know, from the beginning to when they show up? I mean, it might be a lot, but I'm just curious what that looks like. Yeah. So we run about 43 weeks a year. So we have some small breaks in between 
three major terms. So kind of like a trimester model, like higher education. So there's a familiarity and an enrolling and, you know, we start in the fall and, and there's kind of a school setting type of model there. But what you're doing is you're moving into an apartment with other students. So you have roommates, you're sharing responsibilities and taking care of, you know, cooking, cleaning, grocery shopping, um, your organizational systems. Then you're attending the CIP center for usually about 20 to 30 hours of support a week. These might be an individual model, like a uh, module, like advising, where you have a personal advisor who um, helps you goal set and budget and, and really keeps track of your progress in the program. Or it might be a group module, such as like peers um, for young adults, you know, the UCLA uh, program. Uh, that might be a small group module. You may be attending a college class. Usually as, um, students come and they might take one or two to begin with to get their feet wet and to balance everything out. And then you may be involved in some volunteering and community service um, during the course of the week with a lot of fun social and recreational opportunities weaved in it. Um, so the typical day is you know, around an eight to four the services within that time period. And then in the evenings, you might have some support with, um, you know, some of those other items like uh, cooking, grocery shopping, menu planning, roommate meetings, you know, things to essentially help facilitate productive uh, residential living and apartment living. Um, so generally, students are staying for two to three years. They're establishing personal goals within the program. Um, when they first start, they're creating a person-centered plan. So we're, you know, this is the important part of the process at the center of it all has a lot to do with self-determination being the end run. So our students come in, they typically have a good understanding of what their diagnosis is. They've had past experiences, but they haven't really uh, commonly had a successful experience in which they lived away from home for a period of time and managed that. So they're either coming in proactively needing support or coming from a failed college experience, for instance, where they're really uh, needing to find their path. So when you do this person-centered planning process and you put them in the driver's seat, you're really facilitating that, um, you know, that focus on you're an adult and you're going to drive your life and you need to learn how to do that. So we facilitate that and, you know, look ahead 10 years and walk them through, you know, where would you like to be living? What kind of car would you like to be driving a car? What kind would you like to be married in a relationship, have a pet? They build these um, visual boards using, using like uh, PowerPoint or something similar. And they build a plan for their life right on the onset of coming to CIP. So what we're learning from them is what are the interests and the things that make them tick and that they love and that bring value to their life? Who are the people they rely on? What are the goals and things that they want to achieve? And that becomes kind of a dynamic process because no one sets their life in motion and follows it in a straight line. Um, but that that's an example of kind of trying to tee up the student to be, you know, their own uh, driver in their life. And to do that is often focusing on their identity. You know, who are they? Do they really understand who they are? And then do they really accept who they are? And you can see that in a lot of uh, adults who are really trying overly hard and they're trying to be something that they're not. They're trying to be like other people. 
And we're trying to help them really embrace themselves, really see themselves clearly and be them their genuine self, which is going to be the best uh, for anybody and to learn to advocate and disclose and essentially come down to a point in which they're self-determined, which means they have some freedom of choice in their life around decision-making and they're equipped to do that in a, in a productive way. Wow. Yeah. I mean, again, I want to go back to that feeling like a, a really intense process, which is definitely something that that age group um, does face, you know, I mean, it sounds like this would be a, a really great transition program for most people in that age group, yeah. I think. Um, and that sounds like there would be a lot of resources that would be needed. I mean, I often think, you know, back to when I was a parent of a, of a young, you know, a child, um, and the different resources that I would try to pull in to help. So, right. So I would say, well, what do we need now? And it would be, you know, this, again, I, I was, I didn't know what I was doing, but I, I guess it was, person centered, right? But I was like pulling in, okay, what is this? What is my, what does my kid need right now? And mm -hmm. let me pull in those resources. So different therapists, or maybe it was different programs or um, nurturing different interests. So whatever that would be, how does that work within the, this CIP model? Yeah, it's a great question. So the important point is that it's almost a necessity if you have a young adult who you feel like can live a fairly independent life that you give them an option and that you're not managing their lives for them. So you've done all of that up to that point, And then you get past the high school age here, things need to shift and it's challenging. And that's where it's really hard for parents to let go of that. So a place like CIP can provide a very safe structured environment for that kind of growth. Um, and that's kind of a necessary piece of this. You know, you can't really just make your kid independent by making them independent. They have to go through, you know, those steps. So when they come in, you know, our admissions process is largely an assessment. We have an orientation process that's further assessment. And then what we have is a variety of services and we individually assess the student into any of these areas. Some of this is pre-teaching and pre-learning that is key and important to have on the front end. So we have, you know, EF 101, Executive Functioning 101, for instance, which teaches you all the terminology of, you know, what executive functioning is and how it works so that, you know, you're going to, to have that uh, content fresh in your head as you're going through the steps. And the same with life skills and these other areas. So there's some preliminary modules that are designed to pre-teach you on key areas that you need to know. Um, there's some services that you would require or have when you come in related to, you know, making sure you have food on the table every night. So grocery shopping, menu planning, cooking, cleaning. Um, so there's a whole host of services that are just generally required when you come in, but ultimately you're um, picking one of two paths uh, we have two tracks. So you have a more of a focus on college academics or more, more of a focus vocationally within the program. Um, and that's going to steer the primary focus of your program, but you're also learning. You, you, the students are going through the program, maybe dating for the first time, you know, maybe having uh, a monthly spending budget for the first time, going to college for the first time. You've got some big milestones in there and CIP is providing a proactive you know, guide along the way, but also a, a very 
strong safety net. So if a student does fail, which they will, that they don't fall too far and they have mentors and guides around them to help them learn from that experience, reset and move forward. Um, so we're constantly assessing, but typically because we have those three terms during the year, we're adjusting on a three term basis, ideally the services that the student is receiving. And within that too, there's kind of two versions of the services we provide. One is more of a, a curriculum focus where there's actual content over a number of weeks. And the other end is more of a coaching model in which we're meeting the student where they are and trying to pr progress them along various competencies toward, you know, higher levels of achievement. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, so as we look at um, an individual becoming more independent, learning more about themselves and, you know, kind of figuring out their path, um, are there, are there other specialists that work with individuals? Like, I mean, are we still thinking like their speech or their mental health, um, you know, support and, um, you know, whatever else, uh, you know, is, is there still sort of, uh, is it extending that sort of safety net that we would think may hopefully high school and, you know, elementary school have provided? Yeah. Yeah. The big, the big ones there. So the, the different functions that exist within CIP are academics, career, life skills, social skills, health and wellness, clinical and advising. So clinical, for instance, are licensed therapists. So each student uh, typically meets with a therapist once weekly, maybe twice weekly, um, really designed to cope, the, cope with the pressures and existing challenges of transitioning and what comes along with an autism diagnosis, which usually is a sprinkle of anxiety, sprinkle of depression, you know, um, largely helping that student process this transition and keeping them on track, um, helping ensure that they stay, um, that their meds continue to be effective for them. So they're con continually checking in and bridging to maybe the students prescribing um, psychiatrists, for instance. Um, typically, most of the services students are providing are within CIP. If they're at college, our staff can coach them in terms of coordinating, but we're really trying to put the student in the driver's seat. So uh, at some of our locations, we're, we're friendlier with the uh, disability support offices in which we're able to work right off of campus. But in most cases, we're just guiding the student along that process and helping them achieve what they need to in terms of registration and coaching and breaking down work and chunking it out and meeting deadlines. Um, so we have a variety of these services under one roof. Um, the employment aspect is like very much a continuum. It's always better to start with community service and volunteering, for instance, because you're in a lower pressure situation and you're able to really explore. We find that many of our students may have an idea of what they want to do, but it's really not been... Um, unraveled enough to really understand if it is something that is a, is a, you know, a potential workforce option for them in the future, or if it's just a passion or an interest. So a lot of what we do is about gaining the experience. And so now you've gone into higher ed, you've experienced that you've progressed through some courses and you're continuing there. You've gotten um, your feet wet in some employment opportunities and you're figuring out, you know, how these two ends come together 
socially you're developing friendships and relationships and you're you may be dating um you may not be you're interacting with people in the community there's a lot to that there's transportation needs so because we're pretty holistic in the sense of having you know really 24 7 um, time with students over the course of a year at a minimum is sort of the year-to-year commitment that students come into the program uh, we're able to facilitate very healthy relationships from that standpoint and the challenge for us is not delivering on the services as much as it is coordinating internally as a team to make sure that that's fluid and to make sure that the student is driving their experience and also just a lot comes up in the context of life that um, affects the student's experience and our ability to provide the services so it's a great proving grounds for experiencing life in a safer setting with a variety of resources um, when you look at all those different teams working together um, it's sort of like for for us in the world of work if you had a board of personal advisors you know helping make good food choices helping you you know go for that promotion you want in your job you know stay energized and intrigued around you know your education it's a similar type of way to think about the program is that you have these resources but you have to be willing to to be in the driver's seat and take those steps we can't do that for you right no and and, and this is why you know um personal coaches exist whether they're for you know fitness or whether they're for being a leader or um you know we have a whole uh industry around personal coaches for all of the things that you're talking about that anyone can tap into. So to have them all housed in one place is, um, is super interesting. And I wonder, you know, as, as people are sort of in this program, what is, what does this transition out of your program look like? So, you know, once they, once I guess a team decides that, okay, like, it's time to go. I imagine first that would be a difficult process because they've been so ingrained with you, but also um, what does it look like? And, you know, what are the outcomes look like after uh, a program like this? Yeah. So the way the program generally is designed is a student average stay is two to three years. Typically Um, really what you have is you have a, a high amount of support, um, that tapers and you have a gaining independence that increases over time. So the idea here is that around two or year two or three, if a student stays that long, or even within the context of a year, that you're, you're being provided adequate supports, being met where you need to be, but also tapering that out to give you the most opportunity you can to sort of show and prove and practice these skills. So it's a very individualized process for each student. And especially if you get into um, pursuing like matriculating at a college, um, sometimes students are here to get into it and they transfer off to a four-year college. Sometimes they want to complete it all while they're with us. So there's really no definition of success for any individual student, but how we work is on a year-to-year basis, right around now in the earlier part of the year, um we're already talking about next year and we're already planning for next year and we're speaking with the families and if a family and the student are indicating that they don't intend to come back and that that's where their um trajectory is taking them then we're already kicking in the transition out services that we would provide to ensure that we have a healthy um, off-ramp for them so they might be looking at apartment um, options they might be applying to colleges 
So we're trying to phase that in um, to the end of our program because it is very individualized for each individual student and family. And there's life circumstances that come up that change. Um, so it's not as defined on that, and that's why it's flexible. But typically, uh, you know, the minimum a student comes is a year. Um, and typically, you know, a maximum probably we've had students stay up to four or five years, but that's less common. It's usually about two to three. Um, yeah. so when they're departing, you know, again, that's the challenge is what are they intending to do? And families, when they come to us in the first place, often ask that question, okay, this is great. What happens, you know, after that, right. <laughs> so that's always the big question, but our goal is to provide the experience to help prepare the students so that they have a, a resume, they have defined employment experience that they've, if they're in higher ed, that they've established themselves onto a career path, you know, that socially they've made friends and learned how to, um, you know, interact within the community and environment that, you know, through a life skills focus that they know how to take care of their basic needs and, um, you know, make their money stretch. So mm -hmm. each of our functions has a certain mission and objectives related to it too. And then the students and the families have individual goals within that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm curious, um, you, your, your name is college internship program and I'm hearing that there's two tracks here. So, um, how do you reach families that might not realize that this is also could also be a career track? Like some people, and, and I actually think just had this conversation a couple weeks ago with people saying, well, no, they only do college. And I was like, no, I don't think so. Cause I'm actually talking to Dan in a couple weeks and I think they do other things. So even who I would say, you know, people in the know didn't all know. So, um, you know, yeah. I'm curious how you kind of share more. so people know that it's not just college. Yeah, no, it's, um, that's a good vignette into the problem that exists for families. So families are very much on their own to just identify these resources. Um, and it's so individualized because it's, because each student or, you know, their children are very different and their needs are very different. So the problem is that they're navigating these things. And that's why places like AANE and, and other organizations are really a great clearinghouse just to connect you to a community of people who have experience, professionals who are really aware of what options there are. But the amount of services and differentiating factors that do exist in these programs and the amount of change that occurs on a regular basis even within CIP, one center might skew a little one way. We might not have many females one year. We have many females the next year. So these are all factors that require families to get their feet wet and go out and take a look and ask questions, um, which is not easy at all. So it's a real problem. There are educational consultants who can help you um, for a fee. There are some great websites out there that are emerging, but are usually focused around college. So on the vocational end, it, it is a challenge because, you know, people typically think, okay, you know, career tech programs, and there are some great things, but a lot of it focuses around technology and IT. And it's really, again, supporting individuals who are already pretty capable. So yeah. I don't know what the answer is for us. Mm -hmm. um, we get out there in a variety of ways. I mean, we're, we do uh, podcasts, we do <laughs> opportunities, conferences and events. 
um, advertisements, kind of the whole gamut, a lot of social media stuff. Um, if I was to point families in a direction of how to best find these resources, um, I would say you have to sort of identify if you can identify a group of families who like a very solid support group or an organization like ANE that helps bring that together, um, that's your best bet because you need real solid advice and information. And then you have to fully go in and ask the right questions and get past, you know, the glossy websites and the, the information that is out on the internet because it's just the nature of this that you need to see it for yourself. Yeah, no, that's an that's an excellent point. And it really gets into um, I know this is this is a, a well-respected um, program, um, but there are some people who might not be able to access this. So first, yes, you might have five locations, but for some families or for some people that might feel too far from where their home of origin is and it might not be something feasible. Also, you know, maybe Budget-wise, it's not something that fits into their budget. Um, so, and you've given us so much information already on like all the different aspects of transitioning. But if there was something, and I know educators think about this too, not just families. Like, how do I prepare my students? How do I prepare mm-hmm. my kids, <laughs> um, whether they're your students or your own kids, to be able to be independent and to um, really get them set up for whatever the next thing is as they move past the school age? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. And, you know, I think, um, there's two points that sort of come first. One is our types of of students, the people we work with tend to skew earlier, younger, or socially and emotionally, right? Like they might be two to three years behind the, the, typical traditional student without learning differences or autism. So you've got that in there, but then you also have this sort of coming of age time frame. So there's a gap that does exist in that. And that's a real thing that can be difficult. So I would say for families, you know, give like recognize that as a gift, give yourself those two to three years. Don't feel so pressured, but at the same time, you've got cognitive rigidity that can set in with age and you want, you want to, address things early. So there's a, I think it's important to understand that a lot of what happens in the younger population, you can address a certain way, but when you get into young adulthood, you're really helping that person fend for themselves and be accountable for themselves. Um, that's different than what's taught at earlier ages. So some of the things that are really beneficial are very practical. Um, having your child, I'll just say child is easier. Having your child do laundry, cook, grocery shop, have chores around the house in which they have to um, contribute. Those are key things not to be overlooked. And you might think, oh, their life is so hard and these are just simple things I can do to help them. But it's the wrong thought there. You really have to get them engaged and taking care of themselves. Executive functioning wise, there's many great tools out there. I know it's kind of like a very scientific brain-based concept here, but the reality is you can do time estimation activities. Um, Even George McCloskey is like an EF guru. He talks about just have them guess what time it is throughout the day, like get a sense of time, then guess how long it takes for them to do that chore, right? And help them understand, oh, that took twice as long and no wonder why. And just be more inquisitive on that end. Two big things though, social skills, again, 
you can't be the everything for your child. So an easy opportunity is to find someone you trust to act as a social mentor, someone who shares similar interests with your child who can go out in the community and practice some basic social skills, stay engaged in the community, stay excited and, you know, get some feedback from someone else. All of my kids are young. They all listen better to other people. And there's probably not much difference there. Um, the other thing is community service. Again, as I mentioned, so volunteering in community service, you know, if you're interested in animals, these are, for instance, these are easy opportunities to get involved in something you love and you're passionate about and you want to show up and you want to be a part of, and then to bridge that, you know, especially if you think about, okay, social mentoring and community service. Now I'm involved in an area of interest with someone who's a social navigator who can help bridge that interest to this is why it's important to connect with people and create these relationships and really understanding that from a social capital standpoint, you know, there the people with disabilities really do die earlier if they don't have a certain amount of social connection in their life. And you can really map that and understand that and make that a driver. Um, you know, there's a logical way to look at that, that many of the students on the spectrum really connect with. So these are ways to keep, uh, students engaged productively in, in things that bring enjoyment to their life or to stretch them further by having someone else who's not their parent, you know, that parent dynamic can shift a little bit, um, setting them up and having them test the waters and try new things um, and doing it. We use it a lot in general, but doing it based on their interests so that, you know, they're more willing to stretch themselves. Yeah, no, I think that's all important stuff. And I think a lot of what you've been talking about here is um, it's just sort of scaffolding on the building self-awareness so that there's the more self-awareness we have, the more we can address a lot of these, um, all of these topics that we've talked about, right? Because you, you don't know what you're interested in for work if you have no sense of what it is you enjoy and what you like and how it might be applicable or, you know, you don't know how to necessarily manage how to go grocery shopping or um, how to manage, you know, a, a, like a kind of a spike in anxiety if you don't recognize, oh, this is anxiety or, oh, I really don't know how to, you know, manage all the aisles that are in a grocery store because it's like cold and bright and all these things. Mm -hmm. um, so you, I think there's like multiple steps that happen here to be able to kind of, I think some of it sounds like you build a little bit of that within the program, but you need to come with some sort of baseline of self-awareness in some of these areas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, we we don't accept a variety of students either for, if, you know, their challenges are, are too great and, you know, maybe in the mental health side of things or behaviorally, um, or if they're just underprepared, if they really can't manage in a semi-independent living setting, uh, it, it often is the case that they just haven't been given enough uh, responsibility or opportunity to, to try or to experience new things. So, um, you know, staying at a relative's house overnight, like these are all important factors because you think about, you know, life happens at this age and you don't plan it well. So you have to be you have to show up and you have to be open to things. And those are two things that are really difficult for, you know, the young adult population uh, in general. But now with autism, especially this day and age, the default mode is often isolation, right? And rigidity. And so that's really what everyone is battling. And I think 
as a parent or caregiver, the more that you can create, you know, that scaffolded support, but that um, early, starting at an earlier age and the expectation of these things being done, um, you know, maybe that's where some of the behavioral approach works at a younger age, just to really reinforce like exercise, for instance, or movement, you know, students are on medications, they're on screens, like, like we at our house have a rule, like you can't be on a screen unless you've done some form of physical movement or activity for a certain amount of time. And it's a good balance point. And if you can create these rules early, they can help create healthier habits and those habits can, you know, persist lifelong, which is huge. Um, yeah. Many people. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that sounds like a pretty good thing I should uh, think about doing myself. Um, but, you know, I spend most of my time on the computer uh, for work. So, uh, but to take that break in between is is important. But again, I think you're right. Like building some of these skills early on um, will, would be super critical. And, uh, you know, I, I think all of the things you've mentioned here are things that we, we can think of and are really hard as a parent to think about. And even educators, again, also sometimes can think, hey, you know, the, this this kid is, ha is already struggling with so many other things. Like, you know, I'll go, I'll go get their, you know, lunchbox for them. I'll go help them open up their snack or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm just thinking of examples that people have told me about, but again, like keep teaching strategies of how they can do those things for themselves. And I think there's also a sense of fulfillment and accomplishment when, you know, kids, teenagers, young adults start recognizing that, oh, I can do these things. I actually can do so many things. And I think sometimes it's hard because they've been hearing for so long that there's difficulty with things that when they can do things, I think that needs to be celebrated even more because I think that's, let's looking at it from the, um, the strength-based model instead of just the deficit model. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's exactly right. And I think like parents specifically need support around themselves to make sure that they can sustain that it's not it's it's just parenting is difficult enough but you know at this age where you're you're hopefully taking some risks with your student to get them out there and to you know let them take the bus home or whatever it might be but you really have to support yourself you know or i i find that feedback goes a long way with families um, but it's not easy and it's everyone's on an individual journey. So if you have a community around you, you know, however that comes together and you get your students started early on these types of items, um, there's so many dynamics and then patience, right. Is sort of that big next ingredient is just allow it to happen and have trust and faith that, you know, figure out what, what you feel like is what you can put into it and recognize that you know, you can't fix it all and that life will need to happen. But the circumstances just change dramatically in um, many cases around, you know, once a student has some opportunity to, to do something, if they're in the right setting and they have the right support around them, uh, oftentimes they're far more capable than parents assume, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what we're, that's what we're aiming for. Um, and so I appreciate you joining me today and, and I've, I've learned a lot here and I'm really, um, hoping that families and other listeners, um, you know, have taken away some, some really good information and nuggets here. And if people want to learn more about CIP and your programming, what's the best way to find you? 
Uh, yeah, just on the web, cipworldwide.org. We have um, an educational resource library, um, a lot on our social media channels of content, lots of articles, information. So plenty of plenty of resources there um, on all topics related to transition and adulthood. Thank you so much. Um, I will put all of that information in the description for this. So thank you so much again for joining me. Thank you. I really appreciate the time and the opportunity. You're very welcome. We'll take care and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh. And if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. I also offer training, consultations, and parent coaching and would love to help you in any way that I can. You can check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com. And when you join my email list, you can get a code to receive a discount off of an online class or a coaching session. Looking forward to hearing from you. Take care and see you next time.